Welcome to the next track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams, and I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. We originally had a guest scheduled for this episode, but we had to we had to reschedule, and we were kind of stuck for a topic. And luckily, one cropped up last week that we've covered before, the rumor that we actually said pops up like clockwork has popped up again, and that's iTunes is going to be broken up and that uh, Apple is going to create individual apps for individual media. So there would be an individual podcast app, an individual music app, an individual movies app, etc. We went over this in uh, episode 136, and at the time, I think we covered it pretty well and really didn't expect it to come back again so quickly. But uh, last week, it was raised by... Um, well, actually, I don't even know where the rumor started. Do you? It came from two places. A developer named Stephen Troughton-Smith found some evidence suggesting that there would be new apps. And a writer on the 9to5Mac website looked into this and apparently checked with some sources. They have little birds over there at 9to5Mac and confirmed what Troughton Smith had found. So as you said, we talked about this. It was our Christmas special episode for December 21st, 2018. It was very Christmassy. And the reason we talked about it is our idea was the fact that it would make sense for Apple to make an app for listening to Apple Music. Now, over the years, we've both talked about iTunes being a complex app with lots of options, and I think both of us have expressed the desire to see a light version of iTunes, like a pro version and a simple version. And the idea of switching within an app from pro version to simple version is always problematic. People get stuck in one, don't know how to get out, can't find features they're used to using, or they're used to using the simple one, they go to the pro and they're totally confused. So what it seems like Apple's going to do, and we, I have an article on the Intego Mac security blog, we'll link to in the show notes that goes into more detail about this. What it seems that Apple's going to do is make at least four apps, music, TV, podcasts, and books. Now, the Books app already exists. They rolled that out of iTunes, what was it, two years ago? Three? Yeah, easily. But yeah. the Books... It's, books has been... Books has been weird for a while it migrates back and forth in itunes well in addition the books app only handles ebooks and doesn't handle audiobooks so the future version of the books app would probably handle audiobooks notice that this sounds a lot like the apps we already have in ios apple already mentioned that they were going to make a tv app for the mac and if you look at the tv app in ios you see movies and tv shows you see your library and you even have access to a store which is a bit surprising because in the music app on iOS, you don't have access to the store. You still have to go through the iTunes app, which is the store. So books, music, TV, and podcasts. Why not make a separate podcasts app? What Apple's going to be doing here is using this framework they call Marzipan. And I think we discussed that back in December. This is a framework that allows iOS apps to be easily ported to the Mac. And we have four of those in macOS Mojave. We have home, stocks, news, and voice memos. Now, these apps have some limitations. Like iOS apps, they only have a single window. So imagine a music app where you want to change metadata on a file. If you can't open another window, that wouldn't be possible. Yeah, these apps seem very simple, and they perform a, a, a singular function. They don't integrate with your operating system. They don't provide a means to, to have interoperability between other apps like a... Um, 
well, like a, a, a real Mac OS app does. And so what Doug means there is that there's no Apple script and this is the <laughs> dire future he's facing. Well, I'm not worried about it. I mean, you know, if they don't have interoperability, if they don't have Apple script extensibility, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I've, that's just the way it works. I think, though, that you're not going to have a broken up iTunes. I think even if they make these separate applications, they will continue to have what Jason Snell called the QuickTime Player 7-ization of iTunes. And that is they will leave iTunes around for a while. They'll leave like an iTunes classic, probably what it's like now, and they'll let it not languish necessarily, but put it in some kind of maintenance mode so that the generation of of Mac users that grew up being taught by Apple to use audio files will be happy because there are uh, there are quite a number of people who enjoy their music libraries that they've spent thousands of dollars on because Apple said rip mix burn and that's what we did and now our you know our music collections are on files and I don't think that they want to pull the rug out from under that many users especially you know these are diehard Apple fans they've been using Apple equipment and Apple gear for 20 years I also wonder about what about the Windows version of iTunes? Are they going to get marzipan apps uh, on Windows? Absolutely not. That framework doesn't exist. So Apple would have to develop new apps for Windows users if they did that. Which begs the question, if they're going to do new apps, why not do new apps for Mac users that are full apps that allow things like editing metadata and opening Windows? So I don't think Windows is going to be affected. You know, Windows users are 80 or 90% of iTunes users. So this change to iTunes doesn't really affect that many people. When you said that iTunes might languish, I disagree. I think iTunes is going to be around as long as we are because it lets you manage the library. It lets you tag files. It lets you create smart playlists, which unfortunately you can't do on iOS. You can create dumb playlists, and and the process is a little bit um, time-consuming, unlike just dragging on the Mac, but you can create smart playlists on the Mac or on Windows. These do sync to iOS, but they're not dynamic, so the next time they update is the next time that you sync your library. See, here's the whole issue about the syncing thing. There are people who do need to sync their libraries and who want to sync their libraries, and they will need iTunes for that. So here are the options that I see. One is that iTunes sticks around for a very long time. Now, we've discussed the way iTunes works in the past. A lot of what you see in iTunes, other than your own library, is just HTML web pages that are displayed in a web browser, which is called iTunes. That's why you see so many similarities between, say, the Apple Music interface in iTunes and the Apple Music interface on your iPhone or iPad. It just knows how to reformulate all this content to fit on the different size screens. This is the same for podcasts. This is the same for movies and TV shows, at least the store element of that. So I think we're going to see iTunes for the foreseeable future. The only thing that could change is if Apple does two things in addition to these four apps that we've discussed, music, TV, podcasts, and books. The first is they would have to create a sync app. Again, lots of people sync and not just music. They may sync local photos because they don't want to use the cloud for their photos. They may sync contacts and calendars because they don't use iCloud. And again, this is much more widely done on Windows where people are less likely to use iCloud. The second thing is, would they create a music app that would allow you to edit your files, metadata, create smart playlists and all that? What would be the point of doing that? And when you think about other content that people have, if you make your own home videos and import them into iTunes, well, they don't go into the TV app. 
on iOS, they stay in iTunes. If you rip your own DVDs, same thing. So there are too many variables that suggest that iTunes won't be going away. On the other hand, as we said back in December, it would be good to have a simple music player app. However, it's likely that this is only going to work with the cloud, and it's not going to pick up your local library. So you'll need to be using Apple Music, iCloud Music Library, and there are a lot of people like that who don't have libraries, who just want a small app with a simple window that would be... I'm not a fan of the iOS player part of the music app on the Mac. I'd rather see like the mini player that iTunes has. But we we both said in December we would totally use an app like this if we just want to play something from Apple Music. Yeah, I, I think it's quite likely we'll see a an Apple Music Marzipan app that simply gives you access to For You and curated playlists and the radio stations and the like. But it's not going to interact with your local files. It won't be iTunes with a database and metadata editing. You know, one of the issues that Apple has had is is trying to merge your local files with the cloud and with Apple Music. And I think having a separate app gives them an opportunity to just forget about all that and just concentrate on a uh, on a streaming receiver app. Yeah, I would use it when I want to play Apple Music or music that I've put in the cloud. Uh, just like you, and we talked about this years ago, about the disaster of combining music from a local library with music in the cloud, about how the cloud changes the tags on things and substitutes studio versions for live versions and vice versa. It's a disaster. Yeah. All right. We've discussed this enough. We'll have links to earlier episodes where we discuss it in more detail. Ultimately, we really don't know what Apple's plans are, so we'll just have to wait and see. Now we can get to our next track department. I've got an interesting next track pick today, and it's not music. For a change, I'm going to pick a book. This is a book that I got last week. It came out here in the UK, and I read it over the weekend, and it was wonderful. It's called This Searing Light, The Sun, and Everything Else, Joy Division, The Oral History by John Savage. Now, John Savage knew Joy Division back in the day. He was around. He was a music journalist, and he's looking back now um, on the history of the band uh, this is, as it says, it's an oral history. It's based on interviews that were done some years ago for a documentary about Joy Division. And I think in the introduction, he says there was so much good stuff on the cutting room floor that he didn't want to waste that he reorganized it into a book. And this is a good oral history that takes all these bits, these different points of views, a sort of Rashomon story, starts at the beginning, puts them in chronological order, you know, from them being teenagers up until that fateful concert at the Manchester Lesser Free Trade Hall with the Sex Pistols, where there were 46 people present and everyone went on to found a band. Then year by year, as they got better and learned how to play their instruments, because they didn't know anything about playing music originally, released the first album, released the second album. Then, of course, just before that, Ian Curtis committed suicide. The American tour that was due to start the day after was canceled and... Well, we know the rest. They turned into New Order, and they're a happy, poppy band now. I think I discovered Joy Division not immediately when the first album came out, but definitely before the second, because I remember hearing about Ian Curtis's suicide and, you know, looking forward to the tour and hearing this, and this was disappointing. So this is really key music for me. These two records, Unknown Pleasures and Closer, or Closer, seems to be a bit ambiguous how you pronounce that. I've read a lot of books about bands and artists and music, and we've had more than a dozen authors on the show talking about that. But I've never read anything about Joy Division for some reason. Something about the fact that they only lasted two years, yet they were so immensely influential 
and there've been a lot of books and they just didn't tempt me. So I picked this up, really enjoyed it. I put on some Joy Division music, the two albums, some live tracks, a bunch of singles, and it was a very interesting weekend going back to this. It's funny you mentioned a, a very influential band that was only around for two years. I am listening to something from a band that was only around for two years. They weren't that influential, though, and I'm really surprised. I'm listening to the second album by a band called Jojo Gun, and it's called Bite Down Hard. Their first album was called Jojo Gun, and they uh, in, inside of two years, they put out four albums, which I virtually ignored. They had one top 40 hit from their first album called Run, Run, Run. And then after that, relative obscurity, although they did get a lot of airplay on progressive FM radio. I, I, that's the only reason why I remember Jojo Gunn at all. Well, that song I just talked about, Run, 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 from their first album, popped up in one of my Apple playlists, one of my Apple music playlists. And I said, I'm going to go check these guys out. Well, I didn't know this, but the two guys who founded Jojo Gunn, uh, one of them was named Jay Ferguson. He was from the band Spirit, which had just broken up. And so he puts this band together. Jay Ferguson, you may recognize him as a guy who put out an album in a one-hit wonder called Thunder Island. This would have been after JoJo Gunn. JoJo Gunn did this. They're, they're genre as hard rock, but I wouldn't call them hard rock. But I will say this. There are no slow songs or ballads on the albums, but they do rock. They were produced by a guy named Bill Simzik. Now, if you don't recognize this name, let me tell you something. Bill Simzik produced The James Gang. He produced all of Joe Walsh's solo albums. He produced all the early Eagles albums, and I believe The Long Run in Hotel California. He's also very influential on a lot of later 70s bands. So Bill Simzik produced this band. Of all the bands that he produced, this is the one that did not do very well. In fact, he was producing the early Eagles albums when he was producing these JoJo Gunn albums. They sound really good. The songs are melodic. They have a lot of great harmonies, great arrangements. And they're not, they're not overdone arrangements. They're just really clever rocking arrangements. You get the 7-4 breaks and things like that. So there, there's even some of their songs are almost prog-like. It's, it's, quite interesting and i'm just so surprised that they did not have as much influence uh later in the 70s because they're a nice tight rocking band just four guys uh really great so i've been listening to them non-stop virtually for a week uh, they are jojo gun this album is bite down hard and that's my next track this was episode number 145 of the next track or at least a 15 minute marzaban version of it your comments are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, recommend us to a few friends. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.